0: Turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to 1 Corinthians as we continue in our um, study of this letter from Paul to the church at Corinth. We're going to be looking, uh, continuing in chapter 3 today and looking particularly at verses 10 through 17, but I'm going to read beginning in verse 5 just to transition in the context. Uh, Paul is encouraging and exhorting the church to, uh, to grow towards maturity, to, to pursue uh, life and together and, and, and hope in the one foundation of Jesus Christ. And he writes, beginning in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing now of his word. We've all seen the devastation and the destruction in Florida that was wrought by Hurricane Ian a couple of weeks ago. Homes were leveled, communities were totally devastated, It was was humbling to see and uh, and heartbreaking for those who were impacted by it. And that's why I was a a bit amazed to see the report uh, of an entire community just 12 miles northeast of of Fort Myers, um, located right in the most powerful uh, central path of the storm as it came through, that never lost power. And where the most severe damage was just a few lost shingles off of a few roofs. Other than that, houses and businesses survived almost untouched. People were weathered the the powerful onslaught safely. And the storm cleanup in this community took less than a day. How did that happen? Well, we know ultimately it's by the grace and the mercy of God who commands the forces of nature... But that entire town is one of the first to be designed and to be constructed specifically to withstand a Category 5 hurricane, like Ian. It was dubbed a hurricane-proof community, and this first real test by fire, maybe by wind and water, we should say, uh, uh, the community not only survived... But it was now positioned to offer significant aid and to stage relief efforts to the neighboring communities that had been devastated by the storm. The purposeful planning of the architects and the careful construction of the builders working together in the design and the development of this this large community were both instrumental in its survival of the storm and its opportunity to care for its neighbors in the aftermath. And Paul's writing to church in Corinth, where years before he had come and proclaimed the gospel and God, through the preaching of Christ crucified and the scandal of the cross, had many called many people from all walks of life into community together. And the, and the word comes to him later on, a few years after he has left that community, uh, that, that Rather than careful construction going on in the building up of the church, there's actually divisive destruction happening among the people. People are, are quarreling and dividing into factions around their favorite leaders, as we've seen. People are uh, you know, not moving towards spirit, spiritual maturity, and there's moral laxity that Paul says is, is more characterized by the flesh than the spirit The church was being literally tossed to and fro by waves and carried away by different winds of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness, as Paul writes in Ephesians. And and Paul writes to encourage and exhort and further equip them to be strengthened and to be built up in unity and maturity in Christ. And to do that, as we've seen in chapter 3, Paul uses several metaphors. He says, you know, you're like spiritual infants who need to grow up into maturity, You're like a field in which God is is planting and growing a crop meant to bear fruit. And then Paul changes his metaphor, as we've seen, from an agricultural one to an architectural one, saying at the end of verse 9, and again, this is is plural, this is not you, this is you all, y'all together. Y'all are God's building. And his main point is found at the end of verse 10. Therefore, let each one take care how he builds. Now, this idea of the church as God's building is not a new one for Paul, nor is it unique uh, reference in Scripture. He had already reminded the, the people of Athens that God who created the heavens and the earth does not live in temples built by hands. Though we often refer to it as such, this building is not the church. When we leave here today, God is not locking up and saying, hey, see you next week. He is going out with us. The church is the people of God. He goes where we go. Ephesians 2, Paul speaks of believers as being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. And Peter reminds us that each of us are living stones. We are part of that building, an integral part of being knit together. Even in the Old Testament, the tabernacle in the temple served as a, a physical reference for God's presence among his people, but it was only meant to serve as a type, as a picture of God's dwelling among his people. And that's why when Jesus came to the Pharisees and said, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days, they looked at him and said, what are you talking about? And he said, I'm talking about my body. And by extension, the body of Christ that would be raised up in those who would become his followers. And so, so Paul's emphasis here is that the, the saints in Corinth and the saints here in Apex, we are the dwelling place of God. We are the building of God by which he, in which he lives and through which he grows and expands his kingdom. And here's another amazing thing. We are both the thing being built as well as the ones doing the building. We are both the construction materials that God is working with, the living stones, and we are the contractors that God is working through, his fellow workers in his work, in his kingdom work. And so the challenge that's laid before us this morning that Paul gives us is, will that work, will that careful construction to which we are called and engaged in building up, building up the spiritual house of God, will it prove to be for God's glory and God's doing by His Spirit through us? Or will it be what we ourselves are building by our own resources, in our own wisdom, in our own strength, and for our own benefit and glory? And that's why Paul tells us to be careful how we build. And why he gives us in this passage several principles for careful construction that I want to look at this morning. Principles to be sure we follow as we seek to build up and be built up together as followers of Jesus and as the church of Jesus Christ. So I see four principles here for careful construction in this this section that Paul gives. And the first one is careful construction relies on the sufficient resources of God's grace. Careful construction relies on the sufficient resources of God's grace. In Luke 14, Jesus is speaking about the cost of following him, of being one of his disciples. And he uses a building analogy as well. He says, if a man sets out to build a tower, first he sits down and he considers what it will cost to see if he has enough to complete the project. In other words, are we prepared? Do we have sufficient resources for what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus, a living stone in Jesus' church? And Jesus answers that question himself. He says, it takes renouncing all that we have and all that we are in order to follow him. Paul puts it like this in Philippians. I count all things as loss, as garbage, in order that I might gain Christ. And participate in his suffering and and his resurrection to glory. This is part of the foolishness of the cross. It's part of the kind of upside down way of Christ's kingdom. To have all that you need, you have to renounce all that you have. To gain your life, you must lose it. To be great, you must be a servant. Human wisdom, material wealth, worldly power, the abilities of man, our own sense of what is good and right or our own attempts to achieve righteousness. None of these are what God needs or what he ultimately uses to build his church. Rather, it takes utter reliance upon his grace, his wisdom and power at work through humble, dependent, emptied out, Self-denying, cross-carrying, life-losing servants. Clay pots who trust fully in the grace of God to work in them and through them. And that's what Paul means when he says, what is Apollos? (laughs) What is Paul? Answer? Really? Nothing. We're just servants who planted and watered as the Lord assigned to each, but it was God who is the one who gives the growth. If you had asked Paul as he entered into Corinth, Paul, do you think you have have you considered the cost? Do you think you have what it takes to, to build the church here? I imagine you might have answered, as he does later on in 1 Corinthians 15, he might have said, listen, I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. I actually was trying to tear down the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and God's grace is not in vain. I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So whether it's me or another of of the apostles, Paul says, we preached, you believed because of God's grace. That was the resource which Paul and all the other apostles drew strength from and wisdom and provision for building God's church. And it's God's grace given to them, as Paul says here, back in Corinthians 3, according to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And brothers and sisters, if it's, our, if it's our desire and calling to see the body of Christ, the church of God, built up in us personally and through us corporately and in our surrounding community, we, have made, we may have abundant resources at our disposal. And there's nothing wrong with having abundant resources. That's Okay. And God gives gifts to his church to do that, to use for that. But ultimately, ultimately, it is God's grace that supplies and is sufficient for any quality construction that happens in our own lives and in the church together. The, God's grace is, is sufficient for the growth and grace that we long for. It doesn't take theological degrees. It doesn't take big budgets. It doesn't take eloquent preaching. It doesn't take great programs. It doesn't take beautiful facilities to do the work of ministry and to be built up in the faith. We can make use of all of those things. And God sometimes gives those. He does give those to his church as a means of grace. But we have to realize that's what they are. (laughs) They are means of his grace to us and through us to the world. God doesn't care if we show up with this giant ministry tool belt, confident that we can bring about some spiritual restoration in his church. He's going to use us as he uses us by his grace. He's concerned with the humble heart and utter dependence with which we enter into those endeavors. And that's why God most often uses the weak and the foolish and the low things from the world standpoint to accomplish His redeeming purposes. So that the sufficiency of his grace, his power, and wisdom in Christ could be seen through the weakness and the humility of his church, his building that he is constructing. Careful construction in the church begins by trusting in the sufficient resource of God's grace at work in us and through us. Principle two. Careful construction rests on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Anybody who's built anything knows that a building is only as good as its foundation. And the foundation of the building is not only critical to its stability of the structure, but also to its shape, to its proper fitting together and being fit for the use to which it is being built. And Paul says that he came to Corinth and he laid the foundation for the church there. And after he left, others like Apollos came along and continued to build upon that foundation. But notice that Paul says he himself is not the foundation. He laid the foundation. What was the foundation? It was Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why he said, I came in wanting to know nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the baseline. That's the foundation. When Peter acknowledged Jesus to be the Christ, the son of the living God, remember what Jesus said? On this rock, I will build my church. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about Peter the man. He was talking about the the confession, the testimony of the apostles and the prophets that point to the foundation, which is Jesus Christ Son of the living God. And that means he alone is the solid surface. He is the, alone is the perfect pattern on which our lives and on which his church is to be built and shaped. Only in Christ do we actually have true stability. Only in Christ are our lives actually rightly aligned in the way that God has designed them And desires for them to be. Built upon anything else, our lives, both individually and corporately, will be shaky. (laughs) They'll be unstable. They'll be off course. And ultimately, they will come crashing down. So Paul says, no one can lay any other foundation than the one that is already laid. Now, that doesn't mean that someone may not try to lay another foundation. Indeed, that's what's happening in Corinth. That's what we see happening in the Mormon church or the Christian science church or Jehovah's Witnesses. Those are things they seek to do. They claim Christ as a foundation, but then they add to it the revelation or the doctrines and philosophies of man. Such that, as Paul puts it earlier, it empties the cross of its power. If a builder is is pouring concrete, if he's laying a foundation... And the truck pulls up and he says, you know what, I'm just going to add, we're going to add a little more water to this, make it go a little bit farther, stretch it out. Or if he says, you know what, we want to make it a little bit stronger, so we're going to take some sand and just add a little bit of extra sand, firm it up a little bit and, and make it more solid. Well, that concrete might set beautifully and you might not even be able to tell the difference of it on the outside. But as soon as you begin to uh, bring the structure up, as soon as it begins to bear the weight of and the pressures that come on it from the building material, what's going to happen? Cracks are going to happen. And eventually, things are not going to go well. But it's not the church, not just the cults, that may be building on unstable foundations. We need to heed this warning in the church today that we don't build on a Jesus plus theology. Jesus plus this particular teacher. Jesus plus this style of worship. Jesus plus this this political ideology or this cultural expression or this social issue. Or Jesus plus these particular religious practices. Jesus plus these kind of people. No foundation other than Christ and the work of Jesus Christ alone on our behalf will suffice to support and uphold the life and witness of the church as God has designed it. We'll sing that in just a little bit. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Not Jesus plus anything, not Jesus minus anything. But Jesus as he is given to us and revealed to us by God the Father in his word and in the gospel. Now, what does it mean that Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church? It means that the church comes into existence. It rises up. It is born out of the blood-bought work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that the church as well is built up. It grows only as it rests upon and is rooted in God's work of revelation, his work of reconciliation, his work of resurrection through the power of, and the wisdom of Christ in the gospel. Now, how important is that? It's huge. (laughs) It's hugely important. Particularly in our day where there's all kinds of of different foundations seeking to be laid in our life and even in the church. We need to be be sure that we're, we're resting on and being built up in and guided by Christ and Christ alone. So careful construction as we build and are built together means relying on the sufficient resource of God's grace. It means we rest on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Third principle, careful construction requires the quality material of of truth and grace lived out in love. Truth and grace lived out in love. In the context here, Paul is speaking specifically of those teachers and leaders who are continuing the work in the church at Corinth, which he had begun. And it's important for us who are ministers, who are elders, who are church leaders to hear this. We must be attentive and and careful that our shepherding and serving, that our teaching and training, that our, our ministry and our motivation is all grounded in the gospel, that it is filled with truth and with grace, and it is ministered in love, the love of Jesus Christ. But it's not just a caution for leaders because it has a broader application. We're all part of the priesthood of believers and we're all called to build one another up in love. And so Paul gives a list of of six common building materials of the time here. He gives them kind of in an order of decreasing value and, and increasing fragility, or we might say inflammability. He's not trying to designate certain people or certain types of ministries or certain, there's not like a one-to-one correlation of, okay, we can say this is gold and this is silver, you know, preachers, there are a lot of preachers who are forking out hay every Sunday. And there are a lot of, you know, nursery workers and church, uh, you know, custodians who are worth their weight in gold because of the ministry they do. So he's not given a one-to-one correlation of some kind of ministry or some kind of people in ministry. His focus here is on that which lasts, that which is eternal, that which has heavenly value and truly promotes spiritual stability and gospel growth and kingdom righteousness. And his point is that there are things that we do in ministry or there are things that we do in seeking to build, uh, building into our lives that we might think are great work for the glory of God and for the good of his church. But that in reality aren't adding any strength, any beauty or any functionality to the structure of God's people. And there are some things that we might not think really have any impact. That we might just do or, or enter into and think, you know, I, I don't think this is really going to make any difference. That actually... God uses to transform and to bolster and to shape and to actually have impact far beyond what we might have hoped in powerful ways. Perhaps the best commentary on this is Jesus' own Sermon on the Mount, where he challenges the, the religious scholars and the priestly interpretations of God's law and their displays of, of outward righteousness and, and, uh, and what they think is kingdom building, and he fills those things, God's laws, with the true intent and the purpose for which they were designed and given. Namely, the love of God and the love of one another. Love of God and love of neighbor. There is an outward righteousness that can look and appear strong and seem godly, but it is motivated by our own glory. It's grounded in our own wisdom. It's it's exercised in our own power. But there's a, there's a heart righteousness that isn't showy. It's humble. It may appear at times weak. It may seem foolish in the ways of the world. But it's motivated by the glory of God. It's grounded in the truth and the love of Christ. And it's exercised by his grace and in his love. And so Jesus walks through the Sermon on the Mount. He says, You thought it was you thought it was murder just to kill somebody. But I say when you get angry in your heart, that's murder. So when you have something against your brother, go and make it right. <laughs> you know? You may have thought lust was just, you know, if I if I commit adultery with a woman. But you know, even when you think about those things in your mind, you're 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 building on shaky ground. Rather, cut those things off. Pursue the desire for God and, for, and faithfulness to your spouse if you're married. You may think, you know, I'm going to love my friends who can pay me back, but I don't care about these enemies over here. But I tell you, go and love your enemies. That's the kind of kingdom building and the material that God is calling us to work with and to use in constructing his church. And how do we know? Jesus says it's by The fruit. He said there are going to be false teachers that come in and try and lay a different foundation. How are you going to know them? By their fruit. Are you going to see these kind of things in their life? Or is it going to be for their own glory? A healthy tree bears good fruit. Jesus says it's possible to to prophesy and cast out demons and do mighty works in his name but not know him. Well, how do we know? Well, he says, the one who loves me, the one who knows me. The one whose house is built on the rock is what? The one who hears my word and goes and does it. Does the will of the Father. If you love me, he said to his disciples, you will obey my commands. And what is Jesus' main command? Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Paul emphasizes this over in 1 Corinthians 13, which we'll look at later on in this series more in depth. But we know that passage, don't we? He says there are all kinds of things that we build with and we should build with. We should preach and prophesy. We should uh, should have faith, strong faith. We should be generous. We should be sacrificial. But we can be the most eloquent, knowledgeable, faith-filled, gracious, hospitable, generous people And if we don't have love, if our work is not undergirded and shaped by Christ's love, then those things are of no consequence. They are as nothing, they'll go up in smoke. What are the qualities of love? Love is patient, it is kind. Love doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. What is lasting? Come on, say it with me. Love, right? And what is love? Read the list. (laughs) Let that be your blueprint. Go down that and check off the inventory of building materials that you need to be carrying with you. Let that be your project guide for the day ahead. Now, none of us builds with quality material all the time. (laughs) In our lives and in our ministries, we 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 will fail to love like that day in and day out. And there will be wood, there will be hay, there will be straw that will be burned up and will not last. But that which is built upon the grace and the truth of Christ, that which is forged in his love will withstand the winds and the waves that buffet us in this life and it will withstand the final inspection that is to come. And that's the last principle that Paul gives us here. Careful construction is tested in a final inspection. The day of the Lord. The reason to be careful how we build is that a day is coming when what we have built will be tested. Now, it gets tested day in and day out through the trials and the struggles of this life, but there is coming a final inspection. Any building project is subject to inspections along the way, but ultimately a final inspection has to happen in order for the people to take occupancy, in order for the building to be considered complete, finished, ready for use. Boys and girls, it's like when your mom tells you to go in and clean up your room and she sends you in there and she says, I'll be in there in a little while to give a what? An inspection. (laughs) And anything that's still on the floor, you're going to pay for it. you know it's like the final exam that we go and take to measure how we had done in the class paul says there's a day coming he calls it the day when the quality of construction we've done in the body of christ will be revealed for what it truly is only this inspector is going to come around not with a checklist but with a torch and he's going to he's going to light it up and paul says the things that remain and survive will be rewarded and those things that burn up and will be destroyed and will be a loss. The day Paul is referring to is the day of the Lord or the coming judgment of Christ. But the judgment he speaks of here is not the judgment of salvation between believers and non-believers. This is not a separation of the sheep and the goats or, or those who will go to heaven and those who will um, go to hell. This is, this is the judgment that begins in the house of God. Where we will see in full and our lives will be measured in light of how we have lived and served and ministered in the body of Christ. Was it by God's grace? Was it according to God's truth? Was it motivated for God's glory? Was it carried out in God's love that your life has been built and that his church has been built together? Now, I have no idea what that day will look like. How it will come about, anything. I kind of imagine, I have this picture in my mind sitting with Jesus and going over the events and activities of my life. And there hopefully will be some things there that will bring a smile and a nod to his face and and pleasure on his face. And I'm sure there will be some where he just shakes his head and he says, what were you thinking? What were you doing? (laughs) And there'll be great disappointment. And at the end, I'll be standing there in his presence, and hopefully there'll be others standing there, that have the mark of Christ's love on them because of something in my life or in our life together. And I'm sure there'll be a pile of smoldering ashes over here that has my name on them. (laughs) But in the end, those things which were of Christ and of faith will be rewarded by his pleasure, by his pleasure. And friends, we know that day is coming. We know that how we build will be judged and therefore we are to take care how we build. Remember, the way in which you build is also the way in which you are being built <laughs> because we're part of the building. Stay grounded in the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. Stay rooted and built up in his love. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but let us be doers of the word, living out our faith and love for one another. Knowledge alone puffs up But love builds up. Let us pour ourselves out in loving and serving others in Christ. And when the day comes and the quality of our work is revealed by fire, we will find that some of it survived. And it brought great glory to God and great good to his people and hopefully great salvation to many others. Don't you know that you are God's temple? We are the dwelling place of God's Spirit. That should encourage us, but it should also sober us. Because Paul goes on to say, anyone that destroys God's temple is in danger of being destroyed by God. Now, some of you here may not be believers. You may not be, you're like, I'm not, I'm not into this building. And I want to invite you right now to join in the work. Turn from building your life on shifting sand and put your rest, your hope in the solid rock of Jesus Christ who died and was raised for you. And ask him to enter in, take up residence in you and join together with his people that God would love a lot like us and love through a lot like us. Some of you here may have been wounded or hurt by the church. Rather than love, you received Anger or abuse or rejection. And I know it happens. The church is a construction project. And there are careless workers. And there are accidents that happen. (laughs) And we can trust God ultimately to make all things right. To right all wrongs. But remember God loves his church. And the question is, do you love his church? Not the institution, not the great building we've been given, but the people of God. God is jealous for his people, and he is at work in building us up together in the truth and adding to us daily as we take his love to others. And we all have a role in this project. We have gifts, we have skills to use in bringing the building together. And so let's pray and let's ask God to bring us And equip us to build on the foundation of Christ. To be filled with his spirit. And to grow in his love together as we live it out until the day he comes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. And we pray that you would indeed equip us for what you have called us to. And Father, that you would even now begin to burn away the dross. And to... To enable us to cast off the weight that hinders that we might indeed build and and grow and uh, encourage and strengthen one another in Christ and in the love which you have poured out in us and are pouring out through us. Father, would you do that work in us even as we come now and celebrate around the table as those you have called to yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare our hearts to come to the table, let's stand together and sing and offer our gifts and tithes to the Lord. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God. ご視聴ありがとうございました<音楽> This time we come to the Lord's table. It is a table that he has given as a gift to his church into which Jesus called all who follow him to come regularly to receive the, the nourishment and the strength and the, the spiritual growth that he promises through his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And so he invites all who have put their trace their trust and their faith in Him, all whose lives are resting upon the foundation, the solid rock of Jesus Christ, dead, buried, and raised again from the dead. And if that's you, we invite you to come and to be to partake of this. If that is not true of you, then we invite you not to partake, but to use this time to reflect upon the good news of the gospel to ask God to open your eyes and your heart to see and to understand his grace, and then to receive him in faith that he might fill you and continue to fill you. And so I invite all who are here who are followers of Christ and committed to living their lives on him and in communion with his people to come when the time is right and to receive what God has for us. This table reminds us of what Christ has done, It also is a participation in what Christ is continuing to do by his spirit and in his work in us. And it is also an anticipation and a forward-looking picture of what is to come when we are welcomed into his presence at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So let's pray and ask God to work in us as we come to his table. Father, we do thank you for uh, your grace which is given to us in your word which is given to us in this sacrament through your Spirit at work and your Son, Jesus Christ's finished work on our behalf. And so as we come now, Lord, we recognize that we are not worthy, but that you have made us worthy through your shed blood, through your sacrifice, and through the gift of life and righteousness and joy, which are ours now by your Spirit in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask that you would set these common elements apart for their holy use, that as we take them in, we are indeed taking in Jesus Christ, feeding by faith upon his body and his blood, that we might never hunger or thirst again. And we give you praise and honor. In Christ's name, amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it, and giving it to his disciples, he said, This is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, and having given thanks, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it, all of you, in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul reminds us, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death Until he comes again. I'll invite the elders to come forward. And just if you're visiting with us here. Remind you that to serve communion. The deacons will dismiss you. Come sit in the front row. The elders will serve. You can partake as you're sitting here. And then once you partake, partaken you can get up and, and return to your seats. And another group will come forward. And while you're waiting. While you're partaking. Use this time again to reflect on God's grace Uh, in the gospel to us in Christ Jesus. a reminder the outside cup is wine for those who prefer it. I mean juice for those who prefer it. The inner cups are wine and and there's gluten free in the center of the remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the Word. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that he was raised up on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures that he has appeared to Cephas and then to the 12 and then to more than 500 brothers at one time. in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. what manner of love is this that we should be called children of God and that is what we are for to those who receive him to those who believe in his name he gives the right to become children of God and heirs of the kingdom of heaven that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him will have everlasting life. to the Spirit. Pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your presence here with us, for your spirit's work in us. And Father, we ask that you would go from this place before us and with us as we seek to glorify you, to live out the love and the truth and the grace which you have shed in our lives through your Son Jesus Christ. Father, would you do that for your glory? and for the growth of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.